We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 225 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, January 10th, 2022, the first full day of the Washington football team's 2022 offseason. Today is the first day of the rest of our lives, or something like that. Well, what an ending to the NFL's 2021 regular season. If you stayed up for the conclusion of Sunday Night Football, you were not disappointed. The Las Vegas Raiders defeating the Los Angeles Chargers 35-32 on a Daniel Carlson 47-yard field goal as time expired in overtime. The NFL product is unlike anything else in this country. It is the gift that continually gives. Raiders make the playoffs. The Chargers do not. And the Pittsburgh Steelers make the playoffs. Uh, As you may know, my wife is a Steelers fan. She was going nuts with this game. All the Steelers needed to make the playoffs was for Chargers at the Raiders not to end in a tie. You figure, well, what are the odds of that, the game ending in a tie? Well, the game ended up coming within inches of being a tie. And in fact, had the game ended in a tie, both the Raiders and the Chargers would have made the playoffs. The drama of this game was massive and was so unique, right? Because you had the drama of the outcome. You had the drama of Justin Herbert making one clutch throw after another. The Chargers in the game, six of seven on fourth downs. Herbert had 64 pass attempts. You had the drama of whether the Raiders and the Chargers would just play for a tie. I mean, the joke that got told four million times was, how about just each team takes a bunch of knees and that's the entire game? Well, you could have done that. And both teams would have made the postseason. And you had the drama of the fate of another team, the Steelers, depending entirely on this game, not ending in a tie. If only we had a week 19 in the NFL's regular season. That was some game on Sunday Night Football, that Raiders overtime win over the Chargers. And then you had the Washington football team at the New York Giants. Yeah, 
Uh, wah, wah. Uh, Washington's 2021 season is over. It is done. It did conclude with a win, a not-so-thrilling, but still otherwise convincing 22-7 win at the New York Giants, who are a special kind of awful, okay? Now, our team only scored 22 points in the game, so that doesn't make our team all that much better. But yeah, the Giants are brutal. Joe Judge and his clown show team are terrible. Too terrible to beat Washington. Look, I wanted Washington to lose. I said that a bunch last week on the podcast. Washington did not lose. Uh, and so Washington finished its 2021 regular season at 7-10, and as opposed to 6-11, and 11, and Washington has the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Number 11 overall. What will Washington do with that pick? What can Washington do with that pick? We have some time to figure that out, and it's a good thing because we may well need that time. Hello and welcome to the final Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast for the 2021 NFL season, but also the first installment of the pod for a Washington football team 2022 offseason, unlike no other. I tweeted this right after the end of Washington's win at the Giants on Sunday, and so begins maybe the biggest Washington football offseason ever. Think about it. A new name, an all-out search for a franchise quarterback. We are entering year three of the Ron Rivera era, of Ron just last week saying that Washington needs to, quote, start to take that big step forward, end quote. You have Chase Young recovering from a torn right ACL. You have Washington potentially signing Terry McLaurin to a mega money contract extension. You have who knows what else is to come in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. You have who knows what else is to come in the Ryan Vermillion scandal. Yeah, remember that? You have who knows what else is to come when it comes to Dan Snyder and all of the shenanigans that go with him being the owner of this team. And there are more things that I could tack on to the list, but I'm not exaggerating. I'm not engaging in hyperbole when I say that this 2022 offseason may well be the biggest offseason in Washington football history. I mean, you tell me, name me a bigger offseason in Washington football history. There is so much going on with this team this offseason. We are going to have so much to talk about over the next few months on this podcast. But in the meantime, we have a show to do right now. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team concluding a 7-10-2021 season with a 22-7 win at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. I'll then hit on a number of items from the game beyond those topics covered in the front five. Uh, There's so much to get to with this. So Washington winning the game as opposed to losing the game. Washington's draft position, uh, Taylor Heineke's performance. Terry McLaurin getting to 1,000 receiving yards for the season. Antonio Gibson having a huge game and getting to 1,000 rushing yards for the season. Washington's defense feasting on Jake Fromm and a wretched Giants offense. Kyle Allen not playing at all. I'm going to discuss it all and much more. You will hear the best of Ron Rivera, Taylor Heineke, and Terry McLaurin. You'll hear Ron address the Joe Judge fistfights slash clown show comments. Everything that you need 
is right here on this show as the 2022 Washington football team offseason has begun. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals off their two games over the weekend and ugly 5-1 loss at the St. Louis Blues on Friday night and then a 3-2 shootout loss at the Minnesota Wild on Saturday night. Do we now have a three-way battle at goaltender for the Caps? Is Zach Fucali, what the Fucali? Is Zach Fucali forcing his way into the Caps goaltending conversation? He made history on Saturday night. I'll talk Wizards off their two games over the weekend, a 130-122 loss at the Chicago Bulls on Friday night, and then a 102-100 win at the Orlando Magic on Sunday night as Rui Hachimura made his season debut for the Wiz. And I'll talk about a college basketball weekend that featured losses for Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia, although the Terrapins nearly pulled off a massive come-from-behind win over number 23 Wisconsin at Xfinity Center in College Park on Sunday night. 70-69 ended up being the final. Uh, no such close results for the Hoyas and the Cavaliers. Georgetown got romped by Marquette at Capital One Arena on Friday evening, 92-64, and Virginia got smashed at North Carolina on Saturday afternoon, 74-58. A friendly reminder, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. Uh, You can now rate podcasts on Spotify. So for those who use Spotify, be mindful of that. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, uh, please write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast If you haven't yet done that, uh, these ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful, help to make the podcast go, and I appreciate you very much doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Always enjoy hearing from you guys. Lots of feedback on the Washington football team off the end of the 2021 season. The season may be over, but now the real fun begins because the offseason is our team's time. We know that by now. No team does the offseason quite like our football team. Uh, email from Stanley Evans. As long as I've been a fan, I've always been cautiously optimistic every offseason. I will not be excited for next season any longer until we get a legitimate quarterback. They have to get this right. Thank you for the email, Stanley. Yeah, that's a big part of what makes this Washington football offseason maybe the biggest offseason in franchise history. This all-out search that the team pretty clearly is embarking on regarding trying to get a franchise quarterback. Everything that we have heard over the last few weeks from Ron Rivera and Scott Turner particularly scream that Washington is in fact going to be going all in this offseason on trying to get a franchise quarterback. Now, does Washington get that quest correct? We'll see. We'll see. But that is going to be the A topic This Washington football offseason from a football standpoint, the all-out search for the franchise quarterback. Email from Phil C., the Ph.D., writes Phil, as a serious Washington football fan, I was rooting for Washington 
to win in Week 18. Why? Because the primary object of fandom is rooting for your team to win. Such rooting opportunities amount to 5 to 6% of the season. In fact, to root for a loss in a single game at the end of the season violates a number of fundamental principles of reasoning as codified by the laws of economics. Among these are, number one, I don't want to give up rooting for a win now in exchange for some theoretical benefit in the future because the future is always discounted relative to the present. Who knows what will happen between now and next season or beyond? The future is always clouded relative to the certainty of the here and now. And number two, the marginal cost of rooting for a loss for what amounts to nearly 6% of the current season is too high given the small marginal benefit of moving up a few positions in the draft. Therefore, I rooted for Washington and celebrated its admittedly minor victory. Well, good for you, Phil C. I mean, you have the PhD. I do not. Uh, enjoy sports however you want. Root for whatever you want. That's the beauty of all of this. But yeah, I 100% wanted Washington to lose that game, but it became very clear to me very early in that game that Washington probably wasn't going to lose a game because the Giants are just hideous, okay? Like, there was that outside chance that Washington would lose, especially with the score as it was for a good chunk of that game. I mean, it's not like Washington just routed the Giants for a good chunk of the game. Like, the game wasn't heavily in Washington's favor until you got well into the second half. I mean, the game was 12-7 in the fourth quarter. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, maybe just maybe the Giants are going to pull this off here. But no, the Giants are just a special kind of bad. Our team is far from great, but our team is not necessarily a special kind of bad. Our team is maybe just bad, uh, but not a special kind of bad. Our team is capable, okay? That's part of the frustration of this season. Uh, email from Gene in Manassas. Is 7-10 and 10 an improvement over 7-9? and nine? I think so. This year, Washington had a much tougher schedule as compared to last year's schedule. This year's schedule featured much better quarterbacks. And just when we were getting it together, we had two games with major personnel outages from COVID as well as unusual injuries. Last year, we were much healthier. So, progress. I am H-O, in my humble opinion. What do you think? That's a really good question, Gene. And I don't think there's an easy answer. I mean, if you go by the criteria that you outlined, yeah, you could actually make a pretty compelling argument that this season was an improvement from last season. But if you look at things in a different way, not so fast. You know, if you look at, say, individual units, you would say, well, was Washington's 2021 offense better than Washington's 2020 offense? Uh, yes, I think you would say that. But I mean, it's not like the 2021 offense blows the 2020 offense out of the water. It's just that the 2020 passing offense was so bad that it would be hard for the 2021 offense to be worse than the 2020 offense. But then you look at the two defenses, uh, the 2021 defense was a major step back from the 2020 defense. So, you know, it doesn't feel so much like this season was an improvement. There's also this, and this isn't the best way to do something like this, but just the overall feeling at the end of each season. Uh, we as Washington football fans felt much better at the end of last season as compared to at the end of this season. But going by what you say, Gene, it's not unreasonable to say that this season, you could at least argue, 
demonstrated improvement from last season. It's all relative, though, okay? There's still a ways to go for our football team to be where we want it to be. We want things to perpetually be well with our team, and we right now are not in that spot, not by a long shot. Well, we always hope that things are well in your life, but we understand that it's not always the case that things are well. And a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace is a D.C.-based family law firm. The Naces are big Washington football team fans, and Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Paulson and Nace knows what it's doing. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are really good at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. When you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Trust me, if you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, the Washington football team's 2021 season is over. So now what? Well, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team, concluding a 7-10 season with a 22-7 win at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one. Yes, I would have preferred Washington to have lost at the Giants, but it's not like Washington is doomed for having won this game. I talked about this on the podcast last week. I've been a fan of the team currently known as the Washington football team since I was old enough to follow sports. I will never not be a fan of the team currently known as the Washington football team, no matter what, no matter who the owner is, no matter what the team name is, whatever. And so I always want what is best for the team we currently refer to as the Washington football team. And what was best for Washington in this season finale at the Giants was for Washington to lose. Winning this game was to do Washington no real good and was to harm Washington's position in the 2022 NFL Draft. And I still feel this way. I mean, this win at the Giants doesn't mean much, doesn't prove much. The Giants are atrocious. And yes, the win did harm Washington's draft position. Washington entered week 18 having the number nine pick in the 2022 NFL draft. Washington now has the number 11 pick in the 2022 
NFL draft. But you know what? We can live with that, okay? That's not like the end of the world that Washington went from 9 to 11. And two things that I do want to make clear. A, it's not like having the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL draft means that Washington can't get the quarterback who the team wants in the draft or can't get a good player, period. And B, there is something to be said for Washington putting forth a professional and winning effort in this game at the Giants. So first with the draft, you know, there is so much to be determined with the 2022 NFL draft in terms of the quarterbacks. For now, this is not thought to be a great draft for quarterbacks, but it almost doesn't matter what the experts think. What matters far more is what Washington thinks, and what matters most is whether what Washington thinks is right. If the experts largely don't love the likes of Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell and Carson Strong as NFL quarterbacks, but one of those guys ends up being a franchise quarterback or several of those guys end up being franchise quarterbacks and Washington correctly identifies which of those guys is a franchise quarterback and Washington gets its hands on the guy or a guy who ends up being a franchise quarterback, well, that's what matters. The key here is Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney and Chris Polian and Eric Stokes and Scott Turner and Ken Zampezi being right in their evaluations of this 2022 NFL draft quarterback class. Because the truth is, having the number 11 pick in an NFL draft in which you'd really like to get a franchise quarterback isn't ideal, but is workable. And because of the nature of this class, Washington may not have to trade up much to get the quarterback who Washington wants, or maybe Washington won't have to trade up at all to get the quarterback who Washington wants. Of course, that's assuming that Washington ends up liking at least one of these quarterbacks. And if Washington doesn't like any of these quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft, then Washington certainly can get itself a good non-quarterback with the number 11 pick. Again, it's all about properly evaluating the draft class. Washington may not have properly evaluated the guy it took with its 2021 first round pick. Jamin Davis, time will tell. We'll see what happens uh, with this 2022 first round pick. And then with Washington putting forth a professional and winning effort in this game at the Giants. Again, the win doesn't mean much, okay? Like this idea of like you can carry over the momentum from this win into next season. No, you can't, okay? That's something that people say. There is no proof of that, that if you win in your final game in a regular season, that means you'll get off to bigger and better things the following season. No, that's there's, there's zero evidence that that's true, okay? But, but I can certainly respect that Washington was not the clown show that uh, Joe Judge's team ended up being on Sunday. Washington was not inept in any way close to the way that Joe Judge's team ended up being inept. And that runs counter to a recent trend in Washington history. Because last week on the podcast, while I did say that I wanted Washington to lose the game, I also said I was interested to see what kind of an effort that Washington put forth in this game. Because one of the more underrated trends for Washington over the previous decade had been no-show and or uncompetitive losses in the final games of non-playoff seasons. An uncomfortable truth with our football team 
had been this. Few teams in the NFL had been no-shows, had flat-out quit in season finales quite like our team had over the last decade. Take a listen to these results for Washington teams in season finales in non-playoff seasons over the previous decade, 2011 through 2020. 2019, Washington concluded a 3-13 and season with a 47-16 loss at the Dallas Cowboys. 2018, Washington concluded a 7-9 season with a 24-0 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. 2017, Washington concluded a 7-9 season with an 18-10 loss at the New York Giants. Now, that score's not so bad, but Washington's performance in that game was quite bad. 2016, Washington concluded an 8-7-1 season with a 19-10 lost to the New York Giants at FedEx Field. What is, to me, the worst loss of the Dan Snyder era. Yes, the worst loss. I know 1910 doesn't sound that bad, but if you remember the circumstances of that loss, you understand of what I speak. All Washington had to do to make the playoffs that season was win this game at home against a Giants team with nothing for which to play. Instead, Washington was awful in this game and ended up choking and losing in the game. 2014, Washington concluded a 4-12 season with a 44-17 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. 2013, Washington concluded a 3-13 season with a 26 loss at the New York Giants. 2011, Washington concluded a 5-11 season with a 34-10 loss at the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, this, for whatever reason, had not gotten talked about a lot, but the truth is Washington, in its recent history, had had a tendency to tap out in season finales of non-playoff seasons like few other teams. Well, Washington, in this season finale at the Giants on Sunday, did not tap out. Washington showed up and won. And while I personally don't love that Washington won, I certainly can respect that Washington won. And when we talk about, you know, the culture and is the Ron Rivera culture change working? Well, this is one of the things that you cite as evidence of the culture change working. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on his approach to Sunday's game. We played to win and that was that was it, you know, and, and um that will always be my approach, and 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 you know, um, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that. We're going to we're going to do the best we can every time we get on that football field. There you go. Takeaway number two: in a game in which Washington did a number of things well, Taylor Heineke did not do so well. Taylor Heineke on Sunday made his 17th start, regular season and postseason as a Washington quarterback, made his 18th start regular season and postseason as an NFL quarterback. And he was not very good. Um, He started off well, and he did have some impressive plays, but his overall body of work was bad. Uh, Taylor Heineke went just 9 of 18 for just 120 yards. That works out to just 6.67 yards per pass attempt. He had no touchdown passes, did have no interceptions, although he did have an ear pick. Uh, He was charged with a fumble. He took three sacks. He had two carries for three yards, and he quarterbacked a Washington offense that went just three of 13 on third downs. Uh, This game is funny because this game was a convincing win for Washington, but the game also was a loud reminder of Washington's need for a franchise quarterback. And as we just discussed, the result of the game did Washington no favors in the quest for a franchise quarterback because Washington 
ended up falling from number 9 in the 2022 NFL Draft to number 11 in the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Also, interestingly, this game happened on the one-year anniversary of Taylor Heineke's breakout game. Yes, Sunday was the one-year anniversary of the 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard game of the 2021 NFL playoffs. So there was good from Taylor Heineke in this game, especially earlier in the game. Taylor Heineke was very good on Washington's first offensive drive. This was the first offensive drive of the game. 11 plays, 76 yards, resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 23-yard field goal. Taylor Heineke on the drive, 2-3 for 41 yards, and the incompletion should have been a touchdown pass, and Heineke on the drive had a scramble for a first down. A second snap of the drive, Heineke a second and eight, 11-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Fifth snap of the drive, Heineke a first and 10, 30-yard shotgun play action completion to McLaurin on a broken play on which Heineke threw off running to his left. That was a really nice play by Heineke. Seventh snap of the drive, Heineke a second and three, three-yard shotgun play action scramble. And then came the 10th snap of the drive and the snap right before the field goal on a third and four for Washington at the Giants five. Cam Sims had a drop in the back of the end zone as a Taylor Heineke shotgun pass that was a bit high went right through the hands of a leaping Cam Sims. Now, I saw some people try to say, well, no, that was just a bad throw by Taylor Haneke. The throw wasn't perfect, but come on, man, make the catch, okay? Cam Sims is a big receiver. Cam Sims' hands got on the football. Cam Sims was all by his lonesome in the back of the end zone. That 100% is a catch that could have been made. It really cracks me up when the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the Taters, okay, they go bonkers over every little pass from Heineke that isn't pinpoint perfect in terms of the accuracy. He can be off with his accuracy. There's no question about that. But you know, not every quarterback who's good has every pass land on the exact bullseye of the target. Like, what you're trying to do is put footballs in spots from which your pass catchers can make catches, can make plays. Cam Sims could have made that play, and he didn't. And oh, by the way, Cam Sims has a history of drops, so it's not like he gets a benefit of the doubt on a play like that either. I mean, again, the pass from Heineke wasn't pinpoint perfect, but that's a catch that Cam Sims should have made. That, to me, is a drop. That should have been a touchdown pass for Taylor Heineke. Also, Taylor Heineke connected on a bomb to begin Washington's sixth offensive drive. Uh, This drive resulted in Joey Sly's 43-yard field goal on the final snap of the second quarter. The first snap of the drive, Heineke, a first and 10, 40-yard deep shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. Excellent throw by Taylor Heineke. But there was a lot of bad from Heineke in this game. Uh, He had a near pick on Washington's second offensive drive, resulted in a punt on the first snap of the second quarter, the fifth snap of the drive, and the final snap of the first quarter on a third and six for Washington at the Giants' 46. Taylor Heineke overthrew a deep shotgun pass intended for Terry McLaurin. The ball was caught and then dropped by safety Xavier McKinney, who ended up not holding on to the ball thanks to getting blasted by Terry. Terry had some great catches in this game. That, though, might have been the play of the game from Terry McLaurin dislodging the football from Xavier McKinney. But yeah, that was a terrible throw by Taylor Heineke. No question about that. Uh, Taylor Heineke got charged with a fumble in the second quarter. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. The fourth snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Giants 40. Taylor Heineke was charged with a fumble on a botched under center snap 
that Jonathan Williams recovered. Nice recovery by Jonathan Williams. Not sure if that fumble was the fault of Taylor Heineke or more the fault of the center, Keith Ismail, but that does go on the account of Taylor Heineke in terms of the fumble. Uh, I did not like the pass that Taylor Heineke threw on the failed two-point conversion attempt. Uh, Taylor Heineke threw a floater of a pass on that failed two-point conversion attempt. This happened after the Bobby McCain third-quarter 30-yard pick six. Washington went for two, but Heineke on a broken play ended up like lofting a shotgun pass to Antonio Gibson in the end zone. The ball took way too long to get to Gibson, ended up being knocked away by safety Xavier McKinney. That right there is a moment that you can point at and say, hey, this is where Taylor Heineke's lack of arm strength comes into play. And I would argue against you on that. I think arm strength, generally speaking, is overrated for quarterbacks, but that's not to say that arm strength doesn't matter. And Taylor Heineke at times doesn't put enough zip on footballs, you know? And I think a lot of that has to do with him not stepping into his throws more frequently, but he doesn't have the arm strength to just sort of wing it. And he tried to wing it on that throw. I mean, it's a broken play scenario. I understand that. But there was not enough velocity on that pass. If there's more velocity on that throw, that's probably a completion. But instead, the ball took forever to get to Gibson. And thus, McKinney was able to get there and make the play and prevent the completion. Here was Taylor Heineke during his postgame press conference on Sunday on how he felt on Sunday. I felt good. Um, Again, you know, it felt like week 18. Body's hurting a little bit, um, so I'll take this next month to, to rest up. But um, you know, we did we did enough to win, so um, just happy we got that win. All right, and then this was Haneke on Sunday on what it means for him to be where he now is at in his NFL career, wherever that is, uh, given where he was with his NFL career. Yeah, um, I think I hit on it this week with you guys. It's it's been a dream come true. Um, I've wanted to start in the NFL since I was. You know, five, six years old since I started watching watching the game. So, uh, for this to happen, uh, it's been a good dream come true, and hopefully, you know, I get another opportunity. You know, whether it's next year, year after that, somewhere, I don't, I don't care. I just want to keep playing ball. Um, I could be starter, backup. I just want to be a part of a team and, and help that team in whatever whatever way I can. So interesting to me to hear Taylor Heineke say that he doesn't care whether he's a starting quarterback or a backup quarterback. He said something similar during his post-practice Zoom press conference this past Wednesday afternoon. These, to me, are the words of a guy who recognizes that his future with his current team certainly appears to be as a backup quarterback. Although, you just never know, okay? Like, if you're on a team and you have shown that you can start at quarterback, it may well be that you ultimately end up starting again at quarterback. But to me, what would be particularly interesting in terms of Taylor Haneke's spot with Washington for the 2022 season is this. If Washington acquires two potential starting quarterbacks this offseason. Now, I think that Taylor Haneke should be back with Washington no matter what Washington does at quarterback this offseason. He is under contract for the 2022 season and for very little money. But let's say that Washington both signs Mitchell Trubisky as an unrestricted free agent this offseason, and takes a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Then what for Taylor Heineke? That's an interesting question. Well, no matter the question or concern that you have with your skin, always know that 
Dr. George Verghese of the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland is there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free Free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you that phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. This is the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team concluding a 7-10 season with a 22-7 win at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number three, it is a big deal that Terry McLaurin got to 1,000 receiving yards for the season and Antonio Gibson got to 1,000 rushing yards for the season. I get that 1,000 receiving yards in a season, 1,000 rushing yards in a season, Sounds grander than it is because if you actually do the math, a thousand yards over 17 games only works out to a little less than 59 yards per game. But especially in the case of Gibson getting to a thousand rushing yards, there just aren't that many running backs in this modern NFL getting to a thousand rushing yards season in and season out. And when you consider the rarity that is Washington players, period having 1,000-yard seasons in terms of receiving and rushing, this is not nothing. Terry McLaurin having a 1,000 receiving yard season and Antonio Gibson having a 1,000 rushing yard season. In fact, Washington had not had both a 1,000-yard receiver and a 1,000-yard rusher in the same regular season since the 2014 regular season when Deshaun Jackson had over 1,000 receiving yards, and Alfred Morris had over 1,000 rushing yards. So in these parts, okay, with this team, uh, this is a big deal. Terry McLaurin getting to 1,000 receiving yards for the season, and Antonio Gibson getting to 1,000 rushing yards for the season. Terry McLaurin had four receptions for 93 yards on six targets. He became the first Washington player with consecutive 1,000 receiving yard regular seasons since receiver Henry Ellard had three consecutive 1,000 receiving yard regular seasons from 1994 through 1996. It had been 25 years since a Washington player had had consecutive 1,000 receiving yard regular seasons. So you can tell me all you want about, well, you know, a 1,000-yard season, especially now in a 17-game NFL regular season, not that big of a deal. For this team, this is a big deal. Terry McLaurin having back-to-back thousand receiving yard regular seasons. Again, not since Henry Ellard in the mid-90s had a Washington player 
done that. Uh, Terry McLaurin on Washington's first offensive drive went over 1,000 yards for the season. Uh, this was the drive that resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter 23-yard field goal. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a second at eight, 11-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. And then the fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a first and 10, 30-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a broken play on which Heineke threw off running to his left. And this is the catch that gave Terry McLaurin 1,001 receiving yards in the 2021 regular season, and Terry added to that total as the game went on. Here was Terry McLaurin during his postgame press conference on Sunday on whether he knew what he got to 1,000 receiving yards. Um, yeah, I did. Um, it was actually, the guys were telling me all week, we got to get you 1,000, we got to get you 1,000. I, you know, I'm, I'm not superstitious, but I didn't necessarily want to jinx it either. So, you know, kind of after the first drive, you got it, and it was, you know, it was cool. So, I mean, that means a lot to me that so many guys, you know, wanted me to get that, that milestone and the accolade. So, I mean, I feel like it says a lot about the trust they have in me and, and just the, the way they support me. So I really appreciated that. And Washington appreciates you, Terry. Terry McLaurin played in all 17 of Washington's regular season games in the 2021 season. Here was Terry on getting to 1,000 receiving yards in 17 games. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the 17th game, right? <laughs> um, you know, you just got to be able to be prepared to play all of them. And, you know, that's probably one of the most proud things that I, that I have going into this offseason is, um, you know, not only was I playing in all the games, but I'm playing north of 80 snaps. And I remember when Coach Rivera and the staff got here is, you know, if you want to be the main guy in this office, you have to be able to do that and, and carry the load. So, um, you know, hats off to our training staff and our, and our strength staff, too, to kind of keep me right during the season. And, you know, the people outside the building, who also helped me keep my body right throughout throughout the season. All right. And then we had Antonio Gibson in this season-ending Washington win at the Giants on Sunday. So Gibson was back. He returned from a one-game absence that was caused by him being on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th. And Gibson was tremendous on Sunday. 21 carries for 146 yards and a touchdown, 6.95 yards per carry. He also had one reception for five yards on three targets. Antonio Gibson became the first Washington player to have at least 1,000 rushing yards in a regular season since Adrian Peterson in 2018. Antonio Gibson finished the 2021 regular season with 10 rushing slash receiving touchdowns. So he threw his first two NFL regular seasons has 21 rushing slash receiving touchdowns, the most rushing slash receiving touchdowns for a Washington player over his first two NFL regular seasons ever. Yeah, no player in Washington football history has ever done what Antonio Gibson has done over his first two NFL regular seasons in terms of total rushing slash receiving touchdowns. And boy, did Gibson have some big runs on Sunday. Antonio Gibson was a monster on the drive that resulted in his touchdown run. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter, first and 10, 18-yard under center handoff touchdown run on which he high-stepped into the end zone. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 11-yard under center handoff run. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and five, nine-yard under center handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 17-yard under center handoff run to eclipse 1,000 rushing yards 
in the 2021 regular season. Antonio Gibson on Washington's first offensive drive, five carries for 25 yards. This was the first offensive drive of the game resulted in a Joey Sly first quarter 23-yard field goal. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10 seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and three 10-yard shotgun handoff run. Eighth snap of the drive and a first and 10 at the Giants 11. Antonio Gibson, a seven-yard under center handoff run. Antonio Gibson had back-to-back impressive runs to begin Washington's fourth offensive drive. Now, the drive did result in a second quarter punt, but the first snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 27-yard under center handoff run. The second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out for the second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and 14, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's ninth offensive drive started at the Giants 12 off Tim Settle's fourth quarter fumble recovery resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter 23-yard field goal. The second snap of the drive on a second and 10 at the Giants 12. Antonio Gibson an eight-yard under center handoff run. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson a first and 10 five-yard under center toss run. Antonio Gibson was so good throughout this game on Sunday. And, you know, think about this too with Antonio Gibson. It's been a rough season for him in some ways. He's dealt with a lot in the way of injury, whether you're talking about the shin or the toe or more recently the hip. He's dealt with a major fumbling problem, and yet he's able to get to more than a thousand rushing yards on the season. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on Antonio Gibson getting to a thousand rushing yards in the 2021 regular season. I think that sets a really good tone and tempo for who we want to be as a football team going forward. You know, to be able to run the ball and run it successfully throughout the season with Antonio is really good. You know, he 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 missed a game, so he, he was able to do it in 16 games, and that was good. It was really good for him. Um, it, it, it was kind of neat because you saw him uh, when in the locker room. You know, when we talked about it, how confident and comfortable he was with himself, and and just really how um, how much the, 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 that unit has stuck together and done that kind of a job as far as the blocking to, to get a guy to rush for 1,000 yards. Takeaway number four, Washington's defense dominated a Giants offense that was horrendous. So Washington for this game was without multiple key defensive players. We should say this, all right? Montez Sweat was inactive for a second consecutive game due to the shooting death of his brother, Anthony Sweat, on December 28th. William Jackson III did not play in this game. He's on the reserve COVID-19 list. He has been on that since his past Wednesday. You, of course, have the likes of Chase Young and Landon Collins on the reserve injured list. Uh, But the Giants are just so bad offensively. The Giants' starting quarterback for this game was third stringer Jake Fromm. Uh, Daniel Jones on the reserve injured list with a neck injury. Mike Lennon inactive due to a wrist injury. Uh, The Giants through week 17 of the 2021 regular season per Football Outsiders DVOA metric were number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in passing offense and were number 29 out of 32 NFL teams in rushing offense. And so Washington went into MetLife Stadium and wrecked the Giants offensively. Washington held the Giants to just seven points, just three yards per play. 
just 6 of 17 on third downs and generated three takeaways. Washington had its way with quarterback Jake Fromm, who went just 15 to 31 passing for just 103 yards. Yeah, 31 pass attempts totaled just 103 yards. Uh, He did have a touchdown pass, but he also had two interceptions, including a pick six. He got sacked three times. Did have five carries for 53 yards. That was the greatest offensive weapon for the Giants on Sunday. The scrambling ability of Jake Fromm. Who knew? But I mentioned the two interceptions. They were the work of Bobby McCain. Bobby McCain, two picks in this game, including a pick six. Giants' seventh offensive drive, the fourth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Giants at their 26. Bobby McCain, a third quarter, 30-yard pick six of a Jake Fromm shotgun pass intended for tight end Evan Ingram as McCain read Fromm's eyes the whole way. Giants' 11th offensive drive resulted in a Bobby McCain interception at the goal line on a Jake Fromm fourth and three shotgun pass on the final snap of Washington's 2021 regular season. Washington also had another takeaway in this game. The Giants' ninth offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Giants at their 25. Jake Fromm had the ball slip out of his right hand while attempting to make a shotgun pass. The result was a fumble recovery by Tim Settle. You see, that's the thing. There was an ineptness with the Giants on Sunday that really had nothing to do with Washington. The Giants are just this bad. That's why you really can't take this game and try to, you know, derive too much from it. You know, enjoy that Washington won, but understand that the Giants are atrocious. And this game doesn't really mean a lot in terms of what happened in the game. I mean, how about what happened with the Giants offensively at one point in the second quarter? The Giants' fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. The Giants on their third and fourth snaps of the drive, a second and 11 at the Giants two and a third and nine at the Giants four, gave up. The Giants simply ran quarterback sneaks, showing zero confidence in Jake Fromm or the offense. Uh, Also, Washington's defense got some standout moments from young players in the game. It was nice to see this. Giants' sixth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third-quarter punt, the sixth half of the drive on a second and 12 for the Giants at their 35. Cameron Curl came charging in toward Jake Fromm, made a great leaping, double-handed, like rejection of a shotgun play-action pass for a pass defense on an incompletion. And did you notice what was said after the play? Daryl Johnston, who was serving as the analyst for Fox's telecast of the game, talked about how Ron Rivera had talked about Cam Curl as being all pro caliber. Not pro bowl caliber, all pro caliber. Understand when a Fox or a CBS or an ESPN ABC or an NBC televises an NFL game, the broadcasters get these special interviews with the head coaches for the two teams. And so those head coaches will divulge things to these broadcasters that the broadcasters will then use on the telecast. And that was not something that Ron Rivera had previously said, but he clearly said that to Daryl Johnston and Chris Myers, this idea of Cameron Curl being an all-pro caliber safety. I mean, that's really high praise, and Ron gave it to Cam Curl. So it was cool to hear something like that. Now, Cam did suffer a knee injury in the third quarter, and it was kind of a frightening moment because obviously you're like, hey, this guy's important, and this game isn't important, and now is Washington going to have suffered another serious injury this season, and this time this injury is happening in this meaningless season finale? Well, here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday with an update on Cameron Curl's knee. 
yeah, he, um, yeah, he he took a, sh- uh, a shot to the knee, but it was it was more of a just the, the contact and maybe a little bit of a, a hyperextension. But for the most part, you know, they they, they brought him in, uh, examined him, got an X-ray. The X-ray was fine. So um, you know, we're we're just optimistic. It was really just more of a, a, a bruise, hopefully, and a little bit of a strain, if anything. All right, so good news there. Also, how'd you like the Jamin Davis play? Giants' first offensive drive resulted in a first-quarter turnover on downs, the 11th and final snap of the drive on a fourth and one for the Giants at the Washington 32. Jamin Davis came in unblocked and tackled, or should I say shackled, receiver Alex Bachman for a three-yard loss on an under-center handoff run on an end-around. Now, there was a lot made of this play. I mean, I want to emphasize, Jamin Davis came in unblocked, okay? So this wasn't like the all-time great play that some people were making it out to be, but this was a nice play by Jamin Davis, and he has not made many impact plays this season. So it was nice to see Jamin Davis end his season with a game in which he at least made one play of note, and that was a nice play, tackling Alex Bachman for a three-yard loss on an end-around run. Washington in this game did stop the run. Washington held running back Saquon Barkley and Devontae Booker to a combined 19 carries for just 44 yards. And then takeaway number five, Joey Sly concluded a tumultuous season for Washington, a kicker perfect on field goals for Washington. While we can't be certain about much with our Washington football team, we can be at least pretty certain that Washington now has itself a kicker in jacked-up Joey Sly. Seriously, is there a kicker in NFL history more jacked than Joey Sly? But Washington in the 2021 regular season went from Dustin Hopkins to Chris Blewett to Joey Sly to Brian Johnson back to Joey Sly. But Joey Sly appears to be our guy. Washington For a third consecutive game, this game had two kickers on the team's active roster in Joey Sly and Brian Johnson. And for a third consecutive game, Sly was active and Johnson was inactive. Remember, Washington on December 5th activated Joey Sly off the reserve injured list. Washington on November 30th had signed Brian Johnson off the Chicago Bears practice squad and placed Joey Sly on the reserve injured list due to a hamstring injury that Sly had suffered in a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12. Well, Joey Sly in this win at the Giants on Sunday, 3-3 on field goals, 1-1 on extra points. Uh, Sly connected on a first quarter 23-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Sly connected on a 43-yard field goal on the final snap of the second quarter for a 6-0 Washington lead. Sly connected on a fourth quarter 23-yard field goal for a 22-7 Washington lead. So Joey Sly threw six games as Washington's kicker in the 2021 regular season, 12 of 12 on field goals and 9 of 10 on extra points. How about that? He did not miss a single field goal attempt. 12 of 12 on field goals to go with 9 of 10 on extra points. Uh, Washington initially signed Joey Sly on November 9th when Washington released Chris Blewett. Now, Joey Sly in the 2021 regular season had been the Houston Texans kicker for three games in September and the San Francisco 49ers kicker for three games in October. And Joey Sly had done well on field goals in the 2021 regular season prior to signing 
with Washington. Joey Sly in his six total regular season games in 2021 prior to signing with Washington had gone 11 of 13 on field goals, including three of three on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Now, he had actually struggled on his extra points. Uh, Joey Sly in his six total regular season games in 2021 prior to signing with Washington had gone just nine of 12 on extra points, including just two of four on extra points over his three games with the 49ers in October. But like I said, Sly with Washington, nine of 10 on extra points. And when you take Sly going 12 of 12 on field goals with Washington and add that to what Sly had done this season prior to signing with Washington, Joey Sly in the 2021 regular season, 23 of 25 on field goals. Not bad. Not bad at all. So a chaotic 2021 regular season for Washington at kicker actually ends with some hope here of, you know what? Washington may well have found itself its guy. It all jacked up. Joey Sly. So there you go. The front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team concluding a 7-10 season with a 22-7 win at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, yes, I would have preferred Washington to have lost at the Giants, but it's not like Washington is doomed for having won this game. Takeaway number two, in a game in which Washington did a number of things well, Taylor Heineke did not do so well. Takeaway number three, it is a big deal that Terry McLaurin got to 1,000 receiving yards for the season and Antonio Gibson got to 1,000 rushing yards for the season. Takeaway number four, Washington's defense dominated a Giants offense that was horrendous. And takeaway number five, Joey Sly concluded a tumultuous season for Washington, a kicker perfect on field goals for Washington. Up next, much more on the Washington football team, including Ron Rivera on how he feels at the end of Washington's 2021 regular season as compared to how he felt at the end of Washington's 2020 regular season. Also, Ron on Giants head coach Joe Judge off his fistfights slash clown show comments. And I'm going to talk Kyle Allen. What does it say that Kyle Allen did not play at all? over Washington's final two regular season games. We'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, more now on the Washington football team off the end of its 2021 season. Washington concluding a 7-10 season with a 22-7 win 
at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. How does 7-10 and 10 in the 2021 regular season compare to 7-9 and, and an NFC East title in the 2020 regular season? There sure is a different feel, isn't there, going into this 2022 Washington offseason as compared to going into the 2021 Washington offseason. A uh, lot less optimism right now as compared to a year ago at this time, although that can change depending on what happens in this Washington 2022 offseason. But here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on how he feels now versus how he felt at the end of Washington's 2020 season. Well, this was a little disappointing just because, you know, we had a tough stretch and, and, and we couldn't make hay during that tough stretch. Um, you know, because if we had, you know, we, we, we could be waiting to see what happens later on today. Um, and that's unfortunate. Um, the, the best thing about it, though, was the way the guys rallied around each other, came out and played for one another, um, you know, and, and, and really helped to set the tempo and the tone going into the offseason and going into next season. Yes, next season, uh, what will be year three of the Ron Rivera era, what will be a huge season for Ron with Washington. As for the Joe Judge clown show comments, so we this past Wednesday morning learned that the Giants head coach, Joe Judge, had declined to do a conference call with reporters who cover Washington. It has been customary, though not required, for NFL head coaches to do conference calls with media members covering the opposing teams for those head coaches. Judge declining to do the conference call came off him having taken an apparent shot at Washington. Uh, Joe Judge, during his postgame press conference for the Giants' previous game, that 29-3 loss at the Chicago Bears in Week 17, went on a lengthy rant about the state of the Giants with him as head coach. He, during that rant, said, quote, This ain't a team that's having fistfights on the sidelines. This ain't some clown show organization or something else okay End quote. And the fistfights comments certainly seemed to be a reference to the Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne sideline scuffle during Washington's 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16. And the reference to a clown show organization certainly seemed to be a reference to the Washington football team. Well, Joe Judge in a press conference on Wednesday morning said that the fistfights comment, the clown show comment, uh, not a shot at Washington. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday, uh, putting a bow on the Joe Judge situation with Washington. My, my take on that is, you know, that you, you didn't know what our guys go through. To, 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 to make a comment like that, if that was unfair, just because people don't understand that these guys have gone through an awful lot in a very short period of time. You know, with 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 the whole COVID outbreak and situation like that, um, with the uh, with 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 the unfortunate accident, um, with the untimely um, um, death of a couple of other people, that that's that's not you know you got to understand these are young men that are going through a tough time. Uh, yes, they are. With the likes of Montez Sweat dealing with the shooting death of his brother Anthony Sweat on December 28th, and DeShazer Everett on December 23rd, having been the driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County that killed the vehicle's passenger, 29-year-old Olivia Peters. You know, calling the Washington football team a clown show organization fits in so many ways, but this most recent time really has not been the time uh, to be lobbing a grenade like that one. Well, on a much lighter note, the benches are no more. Did you see this? Washington, for this game at the Giants on Sunday, was back to having normal sideline benches. For the first time in three road games, Benchgate is over. I'd love to know if ending the benches was a Dan Snyder call or a Ron 
Rivera call. Like, did Don Ron tell Danny to stop it with the benches? Did Don Ron put his foot down with Danny Boy and say, Danny Boy, enough with your dopey benches? I'd love to know the answer to that. Uh, But in case you're unaware, so Washington had reached out to Dragon Seats, a Cleveland-based sports bench company, and had been using Dragon Seats benches for Washington's two previous road games, the 27-17 loss at the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 15, and yes, the 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16. And Washington doing this was a reaction to what the Cowboys did for Washington's 27-20 loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14. The Cowboys for that game flew in their own sideline benches. And Washington flying in its own benches, to me, was fine and harmless, but the move just reeked of Dan Snyder trying to be like Jerry Jones. And if you know some stuff about Dan Snyder, you know that he has always looked up to Jerry Jones. And then on top of all this, you had the results of these games for which Washington brought its own benches. The results were not good, right? Uh, Both of those games ended up being Washington losses. Again, the loss at the Eagles and then the humiliating loss at the Cowboys. Now, incidentally, the New England Patriots in Week 18 brought in their own Dragon Seeds benches for the Pats game at the Miami Dolphins. So now perhaps we need to rethink the benches because if Bill Belichick is doing the Dragon Seeds benches, then maybe Washington uh, should be doing the Dragon Seeds benches after all, right? WWBD, what would Belichick do? Although what Belichick did on Sunday was lose. Uh, Patriots concluded a 10-7 regular season with a 33-24 loss at the Miami Dolphins as the Dolphins did the Pats dirty again. How about that? That's been a trend for years, Miami owning New England, although New England is in the NFL playoffs as the five seed in the AFC. But anyway, no more dragon seats benches for the Washington football team, or so it seems. Uh, Also, no more Kyle Allen for the Washington football team, or so it seems. How done does Kyle Allen appear to be as a Washington quarterback? So Kyle Allen was Washington's number two quarterback for this win at the Giants, and he, for a second consecutive game, did not play at all, despite so much talk in that week between the loss at the Cowboys in Week 16 and the 2016 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 of Allen playing some, or even a good bit, over Washington's final two regular season games. Remember all of that talk primarily from Ron Rivera? Well, all of that talk ended up meaning nothing. Kyle Allen played for the entire fourth quarter in the loss at the Cowboys in Week 16 for a benched Taylor Heineke. But that was it. That ended up being it for Kyle Allen down the stretch of the season. Kyle Allen in Washington's 2021 regular season ended up playing in just two games and having just 19 pass attempts, and he didn't play at all over Washington's final two regular season games. I tell you, somehow, at some point, for some reason, Ron Rivera soured on Kyle Allen over the last 12 months. I'm not sure when, I'm not sure why, but Ron went from in March 2020 trading a fifth round pick in the 2020 NFL draft to the Carolina Panthers for Kyle Allen. And then in December 2020, saying that Allen could have had Washington exactly where Alex Smith had Washington, to not even including Allen in the quarterback competition to whatever extent it existed during training camp in the preseason, and then barely playing Allen in the 2021 regular season, despite there being ample opportunity 
to do so. Now, I'm fine that we didn't see more of Kyle Allen, but I do find this apparent souring by Ron Rivera on Kyle Allen to be remarkable. Uh, Kyle Allen is set to be a restricted free agent this offseason. I would think that he doesn't want to be here anymore, and I would think that Ron Rivera doesn't want Kyle Allen anymore, but we'll see, you know. I guess Ron could change his mind on Kyle Allen again. Who the heck knows? But uh, that is something else. There was so much conversation throughout this season of Taylor Heineke. When is he going to get benched for Kyle Allen? Kyle Allen, when is he going to play more? He ended up not playing at all over Washington's final two regular season games. Well, we talked about the great game that Antonio Gibson had on Sunday. Uh, Washington's rushing offense overall was outstanding. It wasn't just Gibson, uh, but he, Jared Patterson, Jonathan Williams, and DeAndre Carter, those four guys combined for 35 carries for 223 yards and a touchdown, 6.37 yards per carry. Washington's rushing offense was spectacular on Sunday. Uh, Washington ran right through a terrible Giants run defense. The Giants through week 17 of the 2021 regular season were just 29th out of 32 NFL teams in run defense for a football outsider's DVOA metric. So yeah, I mean, the Giants had a lot to do with Washington running the ball so well, but I do want to throw some praise at Washington's two other running backs beyond Gibson. So, you know, Gibson had a great game, no doubt. 21 carries for 146 yards and a touchdown, one reception for five yards on three targets. But Jarrett Patterson had six carries for 21 yards and two receptions for 14 yards on two targets. Washington's first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 23-yard field goal. The sixth snap of the drive, Jarrett Patterson, a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third-quarter punt fifth snap of the drive. Jarrett Patterson, a second and seven, six-yard shotgun Handoff run, Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter, first and 10, 18-yard under center handoff touchdown run. The sixth snap of that drive, Jarrett Patterson, a second and eight, five-yard shotgun handoff run. And then how about Jonathan Williams? He on Sunday had seven carries for 45 yards, 6.43 yards per carry. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt, third snap of the drive, Jonathan Williams, a third and one, 23-yard Shotgun handoff run, seven snap of the drive, Jonathan Williams, a fourth and one, 11-yard offset eye handoff run, and then Washington's eighth offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Antonio Gibson touchdown run, the seventh snap of the drive, the snap right before the touchdown, Jonathan Williams, a third and three, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Remember how Washington acquired Jonathan Williams for his most recent stint with the team? Washington, on December 8th, signed Williams off the Giants practice squad. Uh, Washington on November 2nd had released Williams from its practice squad. Washington signing back Williams on December 8th marked his third stint with the team. Yeah, Jonathan Williams has been on and off Washington a bunch. He was taken by the Buffalo Bills in the fifth round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of Arkansas. And he, like Gibson and Patterson, look really good on Sunday. Washington's offensive line, of course, had a lot to do with Washington running the ball so well. Washington's offensive line in this win at the Giants was great in terms of run blocking, but Washington's offensive line did have issues in the passing game on Sunday. I did want to note this. So the starting offensive line from left to right, Charles Leno Jr., Eric Flowers, Keith Ismail, Brandon Sheriff, and Samuel Cosme. Uh, Samuel Cosme was back as Washington's starting right tackle. He returned from one-game absence due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 30th to January 3rd. Eric Flowers was back as Washington's starting left guard. He returned 
from a one-game absence due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th. Uh, Sadiq Charles was inactive for this game due to a knee injury that he suffered in the loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field at Week 17. And I mentioned Keith Ismail. He again was Washington's starting center despite being the fourth string center. This was the fourth consecutive game for which Keith Ismail was Washington's starting center. Chase Rulier, Tyler Larson, Wes Schweitzer, all on the reserve injured list. But like I said, there were some issues here for Washington's offensive line when it came to the passing game on Sunday. Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out, third snap of the drive on a third and five for Washington at the Giants 41. Samuel Cosme got beat by linebacker Aziz Ojulari and Derek Flowers got beat by linebacker Lorenzo Carter on Carter's sack of Taylor Heineke for a 70-yard loss. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 43-yard field goal on the final snap of the second quarter, second snap of the drive. Eric Flowers got beat by interior defensive lineman Leonard Williams for first and 10 sack of Taylor Heineke for a 10-yard loss. And Keith Ismail had some snapping issues on Sunday. Keith Ismail got charged with a fumble in the fourth quarter. Washington's 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive on a third and nine for Washington at the Giants 37. Keith Ismail was charged with a fumble on a terrible shotgun snap on a play that resulted in a throwaway on which Taylor Heineke took a shot from defensive back Logan Ryan. And then Taylor Heineke got charged with a fumble in the second quarter on a botched exchange. Not sure if this was Keith Ismail's fault or not, but Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Giants 40. Taylor Heineke charged with a fumble on a botched under center snap that uh, Jonathan Williams recovered. And that was a great recovery, by the way, uh, by Jonathan Williams. All of that said, though, Washington's offensive line overall had a good 2021 season, especially when you factor in all of the injuries, uh, that Washington's offensive line was able to do the things that it did. I mean, if you look at a lot of the advanced stuff, Washington's offensive line rated as one of the better offensive lines in the NFL this season. And, you know, the offensive line's performance did wane as the season went on. That is true. But I tell you what's been really notable. Ron Rivera clearly feels really good about Washington's offensive line. He has praised the line a bunch. He did so again during his postgame press conference on Sunday. Here was Ron off him being asked if he learned anything from Washington's 2021 season regarding the pieces being in place for a franchise quarterback. Here's what Ron said. Well, one thing we'll take away from this most certainly is, is exactly you know um, what we saw with the offensive line. I mean, we feel really comfortable, really good about who that group has, is. You know, that's what precipitated us wanting to to, to get the Leno done as quickly as we could. Um, you know, he, we feel he's a, he's a pretty good piece for us going forward. You know, you like what we saw from the from from the wide receivers. You know, Terry McLaurin got his thousand yards back to back, and and I think the thing that 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 shows you is if we get you know some guys back on the field, get Curtis back out there next year. Um, what that might be able to do for us, get Logan back out there. That might, you know, really help. And then when you look at some of the things that we did defensively, and you see those moments, especially during the stretch when you know, we won four in a row, it shows you what we're ta- what we're capable of, and that's what that's what I'm going to take from all that stuff. All right, and one more item for you. So Tressway was back on Sunday. Tressway returned from a one-game absence due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. He was on that from December 30th to January 4th. He was not Washington's punter for the previous game that lost to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17. Tressway had been Washington's punter in every regular season game since joining Washington. He had been Washington's punter for every regular season game since the start of the 2014 season until he missed this game against the Eagles at FedEx Field 
in Week 17. Well, Tressway was back for Sunday's season-ending win at the Giants. He over six punts averaged 40.8 yards per punt, but just 28.2 net yards per punt. And a big part of the reason that Tressway averaged just 28.2 net yards per punt was something that happened in the fourth quarter. On a fourth and nine for Washington at the Giants' 37, Tressway blasted a punt that was beautifully placed. The punt bounced inside the Giants' five. Washington was staring right at pinning the Giants back near their own goal line. And then what happened? (laughs) Trap happened. The special teams ace from the heavens. The god of special teams. Troy Apke, a.k.a. Trap. He is only on the team for one reason. His special teams work. He has been on Washington's 53-man roster the entire regular season. He has not played on a single defensive snap this season, at least through the first 16 games of the season. The snap counts for this win at the Giants, not out as of the taping of this podcast, late night on Sunday night. But suffice it to say, at the very least, Troy Apke did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps over the first 16 games of Washington's 2021 regular season. And Apke on this punt by Tressway, again, the punt is perfectly placed inside the Giants five. Apke comes flying in, crashes into the football, and knocks the football into the front right pylon for a touchback. And so instead of this being, you know, a gorgeous, say, 35-yard punt that puts the Giants back at their own two, this ends up being a punt that goes for a net of just 17 yards because the 37-yard punt ended up being a touchback. Look, I am sure that Troy Apke is a swell guy, and I don't doubt that he's good on special teams, but here's the thing. When the only reason you're on the team is special teams, then you can't have screw-ups like this, because otherwise it's like, well, why exactly are you here? If we can't play you on defense, you have to occupy a spot on the 53-man roster, and something like this ends up happening. Now, look, this game meant nothing, okay? And like I've said, I wanted Washington to lose the game. So actually, this was a good thing in the way that I was viewing this game. But I just got a kick out of that. Like, for all of the conversation we had back in August and September, when Troy Apke made the season opening 53-man roster and say someone like Jimmy Moreland did not, right? Troy Apke ends up, at least through the first 16 games of the season, not playing on any Washington defensive snaps at all. Washington made it a point this season to hide Troy Apke, to not play him on defense, because supposedly he's so great on special teams. Well, in this moment, he was not so great on special teams, and what ended up being a not-so-great 2021 season for the Washington football team, but now begins an offseason unlike any other in the history of the franchise. All right, time now to get into the non-Washington football team portion of your Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Wizards over the weekend played at the best team in the Eastern Conference and at the worst team in the NBA, and the results were mixed. Friday night, the Wizards lost at the Eastern Conference-leading Chicago Bulls, 130-122. The loss dropped the Wizards to below 500 for the first time this season, dropped the Wizards to 19 and 20 on the season. The victory was the Bulls' ninth consecutive win, improved them to an Eastern Conference best 
26-10. The Wizards in this game actually took a one-point lead in the third quarter at 85-84, but then allowed the Bulls to go on a 38-18 run for a 19-point fourth quarter lead at 122-103. Sunday night, the Wizards won. Uh, they improved to 20-20 and with a 102-100 win at the Orlando Magic, which fell to an NBA worst 7-34. and The Magic is terrible. There's nothing magical about the Magic this season, and pretty this win was not. The Wizards had to overcome an eight-point fourth-quarter deficit just to beat a Magic team that, again, is the worst team in the NBA. But the Wizards did win, and the Wizards finally saw Rui Hachimura make his season debut. Yes, Rui finally is back. He made his season debut off having not played at all over the Wizards' first 39 games of this NBA regular season due to personal reasons and then being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Rui on Sunday night, 14 minutes, 9 seconds of playing time off the bench, 0-3 on threes, 2-5 on twos, finished with 6 points and 3 rebounds. Spoke to reporters after the game, uh, didn't really go into detail about what's been going on with him. That's fine, you know, if he wants to keep his personal reasons private, uh, no problem with that. But, you know, he ended up missing nearly half the regular season. So good to have Rui back, and hopefully uh, he can really help the Wizards here moving forward. Also back was Davies Bertans. He returned from a one-game absence caused by a left foot sprain that he suffered in the 114-111 loss to the Houston Rockets at Capital One Arena last Wednesday night. Uh, Davies on Sunday night, 10 minutes, 3 seconds of playing time off the bench. Two of four on three, seven points, four rebounds, but he was clutch. Uh, Davies in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won, 35-29, went two at two on threes. Now, the Wizards do remain without some key guys here. Montrez Harrell is still out. Uh, the Wizards now have been without him for seven consecutive games due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Also, the Wizards on Sunday night were without Anthony Gill for a fourth consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And we're still waiting on Thomas Bryant. Uh, it now has been a full year since Thomas Bryant suffered his partially torn left ACL. He suffered that on January 9th 2021. He is yet to play this season as he recovers from that. Uh, this win for the Wizards at the Magic on Sunday night it was a major bounce-back effort for the Wizards defensively. The Wizards were horrendous defensively in their loss at the Bulls on Friday night. In fact, Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference said that the Wizards, quote, weren't on the same page end quote. Uh, that's not good. But the Wizards in that game allowed the Bulls to score 107 points over the first three quarters. The Wizards allowed the Bulls to go 15 of 33 on threes, including allowing Lonzo Ball to go 6 of 11 on threes. The Wizards allowed the Bulls to go 33 of 58 on twos. And the Wizards in the game went to 7 of 24 on threes. Did go 30 of 47 in the paint for 60 paint points. Did go 25 of 26 on free throws. But that ended up not mattering all that much. The Wizards lost the game because their defense was just that bad. Well, Sunday night, the Wizards in this win at the Magic, much better defensively, as you would expect with the Magic being, again, the worst team in the NBA. Uh, the Wizards held the Magic to just 9 of 28 on threes, just 29 of 68 on twos. Wiz went 11 of 29 on threes, did go uh, just 25 of 59 on twos. Bradley Beal in the win at the Magic on Sunday night. Three of seven on threes, just four of 15, though, on twos. He finished with 20 points, seven assists versus two turnovers and six rebounds and 36-34 
as a starter. He did, though, make a big defensive play late in the game. Beal blocked a Gary Harris three in the closing seconds. Beal in the loss at the Bulls on Friday night, 2 of 4 on 3, 7 of 10 on 2, 6 of 6 on free throws, 26 points, 6 assists versus 5 turnovers and 3 rebounds and 33-53 as a starter. Kyle Kuzma, clutch Kuz delivered in the win at the Magic on Sunday night. 3 of 6 on 3, 7 of 13 on Tuesday. Finished with 27 points, 22 rebounds, and 1 assist versus 3 turnovers and 38-18 as a starter. How about Kuzma? 27 and 22 on Sunday night. Kuzma in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 35-29. 14 points and 6 rebounds and a big block. He blocked a Chuma Okiki jumper in the closing seconds. Uh, Kuzma in the loss at the Bulls on Friday night, 0 of 4 on threes, but 7 of 13 on two, 7 of 8 on free throws. Finished with 21 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists versus 4 turnovers and 2 steals and 35-13 as a starter. So Kyle Kuzma continues to produce. Spencer Dinwiddie is back for the Wizards. He and the loss at the Bulls returned from a four-game absence caused by being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. He did well in that game, 31-09 as a starter, 1-3 on threes, 3-6 on twos, 9-9 on free throws, 18 points, 4 assists versus 2 turnovers, 3 rebounds, and 2 steals. And then Dinwiddie in the win at the Magic on Sunday night. How about this? 10 assists versus no turnovers and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 16 and 30-59 as a starter. He did score just 8 points, 1-4 of on threes, 2-4 of on twos, but 10 assists versus no turnovers. So some good stuff from Spencer Dinwiddie over his first two games back. And Kentavious Caldwell-Pope in the win at the Magic on Sunday night. Two of four on threes, three of five on twos. He finished with 14 points and three rebounds in 29-59 as a starter. Uh, Also for the Wizards here lately. So the loss at the Bulls included Aaron Holiday being back. Uh, He returned from a five-game absence caused by being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And guess who now is on the Wizards? Georgetown product Greg Monroe. Yes, Greg Monroe in the loss at the Bulls on Friday night made his Wizards debut. The Wizards on Thursday signed Greg Monroe to a 10-day contract. He had been playing for the Wizards G League affiliate the Capital City Go-Go. This season is Greg Monroe's age 31 season. The Wizards are his eighth NBA team off him having been taken by the Detroit Pistons with the number seven pick in the 2010 NBA draft. And Monroe did produce in the loss at the Bulls on Friday night, 14.06 off the bench, 4.07 from the field, eight points and seven rebounds, including four offensive boards. The Wizards remain in a very strange place. It's still hard to figure out, like, what exactly are the Wizards this season? And that's kind of epitomized by their record now, 20 and 20, essentially halfway into the NBA's 82-game regular season. Um, Clearly, the Wizards have not been as good lately as the Wizards were to begin the season, right? Wizards began the season 10-3. The Wizards since then are just 10-17, so that's a big drop-off. At the same time, the Wizards are in the mix here, and there's no reason why the Wizards can't finish with a win total in the 40s, which I think most of us would have signed up for coming into the season in terms of this Wizards team Uh, If it's going to try to compete, you know, that being about the level at which you felt like the Wizards could max out at. I mean, if you expected 50 wins, God bless you. I sure didn't expect 50 wins from this team. You still have the bigger picture question of, okay, where exactly are we going with all of this, including something like the Bradley Beal situation. We're still awaiting whether he's going to accept or decline 
the Wizards' max contract extension offer. But for now, this is where we're at with the Wizards. Next up for the Wiz, a three-game homestand, uh, beginning with a game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, Tuesday night at 7. All right, let's talk Capitals. Uh, They have a game on Monday night. The Caps will host the Boston Bruins Monday night at 7. This off two losses for the Caps over the weekend. Friday night, a 5-1 loss at the St. Louis Blues. Uh, The Caps in the game took a 1-0 lead, 2-0-2 into the first period on a Daniel Sprong even-strength goal and then gave up the game's final five goals. So that's a problem. Saturday night, a 3-2 shootout loss at the Minnesota Wild. Caps fell to just 2-9 in overtime-slash-shootout games this season. So the Caps now are 27-9 and on the season. Caps have fallen a bit in the standings. Caps now are third in the Metropolitan Division. The Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers are tied atop the division at 50 points apiece. The Caps are third in the Metro with 49 points. Now, this has been a strange time for the Caps and really a strange time for the entire NHL. Uh, Friday night's loss at the Blues was the Caps' first game since the 4-3 overtime loss to the New Jersey Devils at Capital One Arena on January 2nd and was just the Caps' fourth game since the 3-2 loss to the Los Angeles Kings at Capital One Arena on December 19th. The Caps have just not been playing a lot lately. Uh, This is, of course, due to COVID-19 and also due to the NHL's holiday break. So there's been like no rhythm to the Caps season lately. And so we on Friday night got a terrible loss for the Caps. Again, 5-1 was the final at the Blues. The Caps at least did get a point on Saturday night via the 3-2 shootout loss at the Wild. Uh, The Caps continue to be without a number of key players. Center Nicholas Backstrom now has not played in three consecutive games due to a non-COVID-19 illness for TJ Oshie. Now has not played in three consecutive games due to a non-COVID-19 illness. Goaltender Vitek Vanacek, uh, he is out of the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, but he recently now has been dealing with a non-COVID-19 illness. And forward Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. Defenseman Martin Ferravari on Friday night did return from a three-game absence caused by being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. But the Caps continue to be in the state of, you know, who's coming, who's going, either due to injury or COVID-19, or now I guess you have to also throw into the mix these non-COVID-19 illnesses, because Backstrom, Oshie, and Vanacek each is dealing with a non-COVID-19 illness. But to me, the biggest item from the Caps weekend is the goaltending situation. The Caps goaltending this season has been mixed, uh, has been spotty, you know, at times good, at times bad. The Caps' two-headed goaltending monster of Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek has been good enough to have the Caps having an overall very good record despite all of their injuries and absences this season. But this goaltending duo of Samsonov and Vanacek also has not been good enough to where any Caps fan has felt great about the team's goaltending situation this season. And so how about what happened over the weekend? So Vitek Vanacek, like we said, has been unavailable due to this non-COVID-19 illness. Ilya Samsonov for the 5-1 loss at the Blues on Friday night. It was the cap starting goaltender for a fourth consecutive game, but he stopped just 12 of the 16 shots on goal that he faced, and he was pulled after two periods. Now, understand, the Caps won the puck possession battle for the game. They, per natural stat trick, had 41 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blues' 36. Now, the Caps did have just five high-danger 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blues' 9. But, you know, it's not like Samsonov in this game was bludgeoned uh, by horrendous play in front of him. Like, he just really wasn't that good in this game, just like he hasn't been good in plenty of other games this season. And really, in his NHL career so far, Zach Fucali 
was the Caps' number two goaltender on Friday night. He ended up coming into the game to begin the third period in relief of Ilya Samsonov. Fukali stopped all seven of the shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, stopped all four of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. Now, Zach Fukali, as you may recall, made his NHL regular season debut a few months ago. Uh, he made his NHL regular season debut in the Caps 2-0 win at the Detroit Red Wings on November 11th. And Zach Fukali in that game, again, his NHL regular season debut, pitched a shutout. Uh, not bad. Uh, Fukali in that game stopped all 21 of the shots on goal that he faced to become the first goaltender in Caps history to record a shutout in his NHL regular season debut. Well, Fukali shined in relief on Friday night, and then Fukali was the Caps starting goaltender on Saturday night. He was a Caps starting goaltender for this 3-2 shootout loss at the Wild, and Fukali was great in that game. He stopped 21 of the 22 shots on goal that he faced. Fukali, per natural stat trick, stopped all five of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. So Fukali, over the weekend, per natural stat trick, stopped all nine of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. Stopping the high danger shot has been a problem for Ilya Samsonov this season. And Zach Fukali on Saturday night, in fact, made NHL history. He set a new NHL record for longest shutout streak to begin an NHL regular season career. The mark, 138 minutes and seven seconds. The previous record was set by, interestingly enough, a Minnesota Wild goaltender, Matt Hackett, in 2011. But yeah, Zach Fukali made NHL history on Saturday night. So now what? I mean, nobody has viewed Zach Fukali as a potential franchise goaltender or anything like that, but does he not deserve more playing time given how he's done? This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday night on Zach Fukali's performance in the shootout loss at the Wild. You know, he gave us a chance to get some points tonight. Um, thought he played well. Uh, wasn't real busy for him, but there was a couple of big saves, key saves that he made. So, you know, I thought he played well. Okay. Uh, how about this? LaViolette on Saturday night was asked whether Fucali has done enough to earn another start. We're just, we're just ending this one here. Um, he certainly has played well um, when he's been in the crease here. Um, his training camp was good. He had played well, you know, prior to getting called up here the first time, and then it broke up a little bit for him. But um, since he's come back here, he's he's done a really good job again. So, you know, we'll talk about things and leave here and get ready for the next one. So, Okay, so LaViolette didn't say that Fucali has done enough to earn another start, but LaViolette also did not say that Fucali has not done enough to earn another start. And then one more for you from LaViolette on the Caps goaltending situation. Here was LaViolette on Saturday night on whether Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek have done enough so far this season to continue being the Caps' top two goaltenders. Uh, I think that they've they've each had their moments where they've, they've played uh, really well. Um, but you know, Zach has done a good job when he's come up here as well. So it's something that we're, you know, we're, we're going through and we're evaluating. I think that at times, you know, Vitex uh, had had his moments where he's played really well. Sammy's was on a run where he had some shutouts and Vita, I'm sorry, Fucali came up here and I thought that uh, in the time that an opportunity that he got, he's played really well. Yes, he has. Look, goaltending in the NHL can be very, unpredictable. I mean, guys come out of nowhere all of the time and end up being really good for stretches, if not seasons, if not careers. You know, the greatest goaltender in Caps history 
is an example of this. Braden Holtby. The Caps took Braden Holtby in the fourth round of the 2008 NHL draft, and he ended up becoming the greatest goaltender in Caps history. I mean, you just never know with these goaltenders. So especially given the inconsistencies of Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek, why not see more of Zach Fucali? What exactly would be the harm? Uh, A few other observations from the Caps 3-2 shootout loss at the Wild on Saturday night. Uh, The Caps scored a goal against themselves. Uh, Yeah, that was not good. Uh, The Caps had an empty net with a delayed penalty call and a pass by Carl Hagelin from the right corner in the Caps offensive zone resulted in the puck going all the way down the ice into the Caps net to cut their lead to 2-1, 13-55 into the second period. Uh, the Caps in the game committed just one penalty to the Wilds' five, went one of five on the power play and one of one on the penalty kill. And that Caps power play goal came from Evgeny Kuznetsov, 548 into the second period. The goal was Kuznetsov's fifth goal over his last 10 games. Alex Ovechkin had the primary assist. Uh, both Ovechkin and Kuznetsov have been really good so far this season. But yeah, going to be really interesting to see who is the cap starting goaltender for this game against the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Monday night. And let's talk some college basketball before we call it a show. Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia all in action over the weekend. All three teams lost, although the Terrapins nearly pulled off a miracle comeback win. The Terps fell to 8-7 overall and 0-4 in the Big Ten with a 70-69 loss to number 23 Wisconsin at Xfinity Center in College Park. On Sunday night, what a wild game this was. The Terps in the first half trailed by 21 points. The Terps allowed Wisconsin to begin the game on a 29-8 run, but the Terps overcame that 21-point first half deficit, led multiple times in the second half, but the Terps ultimately did not come through uh, with the win. The Terps in a 26-point first half won just 2-7 on threes and 7-21 on twos, but the Terps in a 43-point second half went 5 of 10 on threes and 11 of 17 on twos. Uh, Eric Ayala scored all 19 of his points in the second half. He finished the game 4 of 8 on threes, did go just 2 of 8 on twos, but he also had five rebounds in 30 minutes as a starter. The Rhode Island transfer point guard Fats Russell, he scored 11 of his 13 points in the second half. He finished the game with six assists versus one turnover and two steals in just 25 minutes as a starter. The Terps are competing here. I mean, Maryland is in a very difficult spot because the team, which was supposed to be good this season, has not been as good as uh, Maryland fans like myself hoped for the team to be. You then had the stunning resignation of the head coach, Mark Turgeon, right before the beginning of conference play. And Maryland has had a lot of road games to begin conference play, has had a lot of difficult matchups to begin conference play. And so, you know, you're looking at a team for which the season really could unravel. And I guess you could argue in some ways it is, right? Maryland's just 8-7 and seven overall and 0-4 and in the Big Ten, but the Terps are competing. Like, they're not getting smashed in these games. They are fighting in these games, and there's something to be said for that. And I do think this could be, and I stress that phrase, could be a situation in which the team does turn the corner at some point here. Like, it doesn't feel like the interim head coach, Danny Manning, Uh, has lost the team or doesn't have the team with him or anything like that. It's just a question of, you know, is this team any good? Um, And we're in the process of finding that out here. But I do want to credit the Terps for at least battling 
and what has been a very difficult situation. Again, the head coach ups and leaves. You know, it's difficult enough as it is competing in the Big Ten, dealing with the COVID-19 stuff. So I am supporting my Terrapins, but yeah, 8-7 and seven overall, 0-4 oh in the Big Ten. It's not a good spot to be in, all right? Uh, the NCAA tournament is looking more and more uh, like a far-fetched dream, but we'll see. There's still plenty of time to go in the regular season. Next up for the Terps at Northwestern, Wednesday night at 9. Meantime, awful loss for Georgetown on Friday evening. The Hoyas fell to 6-6 six and six overall and 0-1 in the Big East with a 92-64 loss to Marquette at Capital One Arena. I tell you, Friday night was a terrible night in Washington, D.C. sports. The Capitals lost at the St. Louis Blues 5-1. The Wizards lost at the Chicago Bulls 130-122. And Georgetown lost at home to Marquette by 28 points. And not happy was the Hoyas head coach, Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing after the game, quote, we did not compete. Every effort thing that we needed to do, we didn't do it. Big John is rolling over in his grave for the performance that we showed tonight. End quote. Uh, Yeah, Patrick was not happy after that game. But I tell you what, when you're talking about your team not putting forth the effort, you know, that doesn't reflect well on you. Now, this was the Hoyas' first game in a long time. Uh, This was the Hoyas' first game since an 80-73 loss to TCU at Capital One Arena on December 18th. Yeah, the Hoyas had not played since a week before Christmas uh, due to, of course, COVID-19 issues. The Hoyas went from December 19th through January 6th without playing a single game. The Big East initially was not rescheduling games that were canceled due to COVID-19, but then on December 23rd, amended that stance. And so three Hoyas games have been rescheduled. Uh, The Big East on New Year's Day morning announced the rescheduling of two Georgetown games that were not played on their original dates due to COVID-19 issues. Georgetown at Providence, which was supposed to have happened on December 22nd, was rescheduled for January 20th. Georgetown at Creighton, which was supposed to have happened on December 28th, was rescheduled for February 14th. And then the Big East this past Wednesday afternoon rescheduled St. John's at Georgetown for a second time, uh, moving the game to February 3rd at McDonough Arena. That game was supposed to have happened on January 1st. So as has been the case with just about every other team in sports, there's been a lot coming and going in terms of are we playing? Are we not playing? Is this guy available? Is that guy not available regarding Georgetown basketball lately? And then added onto all of that is that the Hoyas are undermanned right now. Uh, Donald Carey did not play on Friday evening due to illness. The 7-2 freshman, Ryan Matumbo, son of legendary Georgetown player Dikempe Matumbo, did not play on Friday evening. We're not sure why, but Ryan Matumbo was a DNPCD. Uh, another big man for Georgetown, the 7-foot Nigerian Timothy Igoefe, is out due to a broken hand that he suffered in the 91-83 win over Longwood at Capital One Arena on November 30th. And another Hoya, 6-4 freshman Jordan Riley is out due to a shoulder injury. Georgetown on December 15th announced that Riley uh, was out indefinitely due to this shoulder injury. And so the Hoyas on Friday evening got smashed, especially inside. The Hoyas held Marquette to just 9-26 to on threes. That's good. But the Hoyas allowed Marquette to go 30-40 of 40 on twos. Yes, yeah, 75% shooting on twos. The Hoyas got outscored in the paint 56-28. In fact, doubled up in the paint 56-28. 
And the Hoya shooting was terrible. Uh, Georgetown went just four of 18 on threes, went just 16 of 49 on twos. Yeah, Georgetown shot less than 33% on the team's twos. The Hoya shot 29.9% from the field for the game. And, you know, this to me was almost comical. So Georgetown lost by 28 points. Hoyas lost by 28 despite having a major edge in free throws. The Hoyas went 20 of 24 on free throws. Marquette went 5 of 9 on free throws. And yet Georgetown got routed by 28 because the Hoyas shooting was just that bad and the Hoyas interior defense was just that bad. Uh, Georgetown point guard Dante Harris was back. He returned from a one-game absence caused by a right ankle sprain that he initially suffered in the 79-75 win over Syracuse at Capital One Arena on December 11th and then aggravated in practice on December 17th. Harris on Friday evening, 0-4 on threes, just 3-11 of on twos in 35 minutes as a starter. Also struggling from the field was the 6-5-5 star freshman Aminu Muhammad, 0-2 on threes, just 5-15 of on twos in 34 minutes as a starter. Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, the three-point marksman, although when he's not on, it can be ugly. Uh, he was not on on Friday evening, just two of seven on threes, 0 of three on twos in 27 minutes as a starter. Colin Holloway did go two of two on threes, but he went just two of eight on twos in 32 minutes as a starter. Just a really bad game for Georgetown. Next up for the Hoyas, they will be home to Butler Thursday night at seven. Also losing via blowout over the weekend was Virginia. Uh, the Cavaliers fell to nine and six overall and three and two in the ACC with a 74-58 loss at North Carolina on Saturday afternoon. The Cavs' biggest lead in the game was a one-point lead at 7-6 in the first half. They then allowed North Carolina to go on a 66-40 run for a 25-point lead at 72-47 deep into the second half. The Cavs scored the game's final nine points. That made the game look closer than it was. But make no mistake, this was a blowout loss for Virginia at North Carolina. The Cavs' defense uh, was a problem. Uh, that Cavs' famous pack line defense got infiltrated and really got humiliated. The Cavs got destroyed by North Carolina's best player, 6'10", Armando Baycott. Uh, now, Armando Baycott is one of the best players in college basketball, maybe the best, uh, but he went off on Saturday afternoon. Virginia allowed Armando Baycott to go 12 of 18 from the field, all twos, 5 of 7 on free throws. Baycott finished with 29 points and 21 rebounds, including nine offensive boards. Virginia, as a team, had seven offensive rebounds, ended up getting outscored in second chance points, 14-4. But yeah, 29 points and 21 rebounds for Armando Baycott. Not since Wake Forest, Tim Duncan in February 1997 had a player recorded at least 20 points and at least 20 rebounds in a game against Virginia. So Armando Baycott on Saturday afternoon did something that had not been done since the days of the big fundamental at Wake Forest. Uh, also, Armando Baycott inflicted literal pain on UVA on Saturday afternoon. 6-11, Caden Shedrick took a blow to the nose from Armando Baycott. Uh, Shedrick suffered a bloody nose, ended up only playing for 17-23 as a starter. And the Cavs allowed North Carolina to go 11 of 25 on threes. It wasn't just Armando Baycott who had his way on Saturday afternoon. Virginia allowed Brady Manick and Caleb Love to go a combined 9 of 18 on threes. UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame session with reporters on the Cavs defense, beginning with what went down with Armando Baycott. Yeah, he certainly um, had his way. He came in, um, you know, 
if you're out of position or you can't get a quality body on him and just try to get him off the glass, um, he's going to make you pay, and he certainly did. And sometimes it was just because we were, you know, maybe covering for a breakdown, trying to block a shot or out of position. But, you know, their front court really took it to us with Manic and, and Baycoat in terms of uh, just us either – not being right. You got to come into these games with an edge and alert. And I didn't think we had that. And I, and I told the guys, I said, you got to keep your head up. But I said, but you got to open up your ears and your mind to what just happened. We did not have two great days of prep. I thought we were not as alert and as sharp as we needed to be. And, and um, when you play against a quality opponent like Carolina, when you have a breakdown, uh, those teams find a way to expose it right away. Look, if, if Love is making a lot of those tough shots he made, you can live with that. But some of those areas that got us, whether it was a transition bucket, some turnovers, and then um, you know what they did to us with um, some of the easy buckets they got, and we kind of thought we yielded. And that, that was frustrating. But we'll, we'll try to grow from it and learn from it. But you look at Baycoat and, and Manic on the front court, and they had their way. Yes, they did. Now, the Wahoos on Saturday afternoon did go 6-12 on threes, but the Hoos also went just 19-44 of 44 on twos. And exemplifying this was Virginia's 5'10 senior point guard, Kihei Clark. He went 2-4 of four on threes, but just 1-7 of seven on twos. Finished with 9.7 rebounds and 2 assists versus 2 turnovers and 35-01 as a starter. The East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, 5-10 from the field. All twos finished with 10.7 rebounds, including 3 Offensive boards in 33-39 as a starter. And Reese Beekman, 1-3 of three on threes, 5-9 on twos. He finished with 13 points, 4 assists, versus 2 turnovers, 3 rebounds, and 3 steals in 37-22 as a starter. But Virginia's defense did not come through in this game at Carolina. Next up for the Hoos, home to Virginia Tech this Wednesday night at 9. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 226, will feature much more fallout from the end of the Washington football team's 7 and 10 2021 season. The expectation is that Washington players will be speaking publicly on Monday, and then perhaps Ron Rivera and even Martin Mayhew on Tuesday. So there's going to be a lot to sort through here. There's going to be a lot to talk about here as we begin what just may be the biggest Washington football offseason ever. Also on Tuesday's show, post game, the Capitals game on Monday night. The Caps will host the Boston Bruins Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the 17th game, right? <laughs>